0: Welcome! You are listening to Park Avenue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. Given the dramatic and traumatic news coming out of Ukraine, Israel, and right here in New York City, it would be understandable if you missed a small news item in the Jewish press this week regarding a letter signed by 19 rabbis on the subject of the philanthropic choices of American Jewry. In order to understand the letter, a little background is necessary. Many people, Cosgrove family included, give tzedakah by way of something called a donor-advised fund, which is a financial vehicle by which a person gives to the shuls and schools and causes dearest to their hearts. The largest such Jewish fund, the Jewish Communal Fund, sits at about $2.4 billion and accepts donations from thousands of individuals and distributes tzedakah according to their recommendations. One recipient of the Jewish Communal Fund is something called The Central Fund of Israel, I know the names are a little confusing, a $48 million fund which gives Sadaqah to over 350 organizations engaged in poverty relief, Israel advocacy, bereavement support, and Jewish education. But what you also need to know about the Central Fund of Israel is that it supports directly and indirectly a series of Jewish extremist groups, including Chonenu, which gives cash grants to Israelis convicted of terrorism, Lehava, known for organizing death to Arab marches through Palestinian neighborhoods, and Im Tirtsu, who once famously produced a video labeling leaders of Israeli human rights organizations as foreign agents, thereby igniting a wave of death threats. The rabbinic letter organized by Trua, a rabbinic human rights organization, called on the Jewish communal fund to drop the communal fund of Israel from its list of approved grant recipients. Supportive as American Jewry may be the rabbi's reason of the soup kitchens, the social service agencies, and other worthy charitable Israel-based organizations, American Jews have a moral and legal obligation not to support any group that engages in or incites violence. In signing the letter, the rabbis are sending a clear message about American Jewry's refusal to tolerate violence. I encourage you to read the letter and the coverage of the letter, all easily found with a simple Google search. But Having read the letter as a rabbi, of course I checked out the list of my colleagues who signed on to the letter. It's a who's who of North American rabbis, Orthodox, Reform, Conservative rabbis taking a stand against the right-wing extremist elements of Israeli life. The most interesting part of the signatories, the part I focused on, is the list itself, because while printed alphabetically, starting with Rabbis Austrian, Blake, and Bronstein, and ending with Stanton, Tucker, and Timoner, one rabbi had asked to have their name blacklined. Can't see it. And because the list is laid out alphabetically, I couldn't help but notice where the name sat on the list. Right after Bronstein, Brusso, and Buchdahl, one North American rabbi, number seven of the 19, sharing alphabetical proximity to yours truly, sits obscured on the list. And so I looked at the list with a combination of bemusement and befuddlement, and I asked myself the following question. Had I signed the letter? I get a million emails. I'm on the trua mailing list. A subset comes from Jewish organizations. A subset of those ask me to sign on resolutions, letters, and petitions. It's a lot to manage. I'm in between executive assistants. I just turned 50. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, never mind what letters I signed. Maybe, maybe I did sign that letter. Who, who knows seven? Who knows? Maybe I'm seven. And then I thought. Maybe I'm not the only one who's wondering this question. I mean, it makes some sense, C comes right after B. Maybe other people are wondering if the black-lined American rabbinic name of prominence is Cosgrove. Generally speaking, I don't sign on to communal letters. The risk reward has never made sense to me. A tired and dated mode of expression that serves only to expose oneself to the vitriol of the other side. But maybe in this case, I made an exception and I clicked on that box. What if I'm the prominent yet hidden Rabbi C who believes that American Jews must cease funding right-wing Israeli organizations? And as I tried to untangle what I did or did not do, I started to probe the substance of the matter with an eye to solving the mystery. What would have prompted me to sign or not sign the letter? What are the arguments for and against signing such a document? for me, for any rabbi, and for the purpose of this morning for you or anyone else. So to begin with the reasons not to sign the letter, the answer is pretty clear and can be distilled to one number, one word, 17. As of the writing of this sermon, 17 Israelis have been murdered in acts of terror these past few weeks. Just one week ago, three Israelis killed and at least 15 others injured in a terrorist attack on a Tel Aviv street on which I'm pretty sure most of us, if not all of us, have strolled or eaten where I hope to be just two days from now. Whether coordinated or copycat, I'll leave to Israeli intelligence, but to anyone with eyes to see, the elevated threat of the moment is clear as day, a recrudescence of indiscriminate attacks on Israeli civilians. Is this really the moment? For American Jews to take a swipe at Israel with friends like these, who needs enemies? Not only, one could argue, the timing of the rabbinic letter is ill-considered, but it misses the bigger point. The haters of Israel are not nuanced in their hatred. For them it's not a matter of this or that government. They're not making distinctions between right-wing and left-wing Israelis, they want all Israel, and all Jews gone. And that hatred of Israel, Zionism, and Jews is not just out of Jenin, but it's a threat well beyond the Middle East. Anti-Semitic attacks in coffee shops, on the streets of Paris, Turkey, New York, Los Angeles, by thugs brandishing Palestinian flags. College campuses expressing solidarity with every oppressed group save the Jews who are the ones responsible for the oppressive colonialist Zionist enterprise. Anti-Zionism is just the latest form of anti-Semitism disguised in the cloth of wokeness and you, you American rabbis from the luxury of your comfortable pulpits would dare question the choices of the country whose citizenship you have sidestepped, whose very existence you count on when the going in the diaspora gets rough, whose Jewish critique of Israel serves to sanitize the anti-Semitism of Israel's real enemies. Leave us, please, in all our imperfections alone. Better that you just say thank you, go on your way, and worry about your intermarriage rates, your January 6th, and your own bad apples. If I chose not to sign that letter, it's not hard, not hard at all to imagine why it not Job number one of every rabbi is to protect the past, present, and future interests of the Jewish people, a threshold some might say that the letter does not seem to meet. So now let's interrogate the other side of the question. What would have prompted me or any rabbi to sign the letter? Let's begin with the tactical. As I've said on many occasions from this pulpit, as diaspora Jews, we have to be judicious, expressing criticism of Israel. First and foremost, and we're gonna return to this, as Jews, our words carry special weight in the discourse surrounding the Jewish state. But it's more than that. The Middle East is not the Upper East Side. If we want to be full stakeholders in the story of the sovereign Jewish state, we can do so by making Aliyah. Having chosen not to do so, we are, if you will, limited partners in that enterprise. But this letter, this letter is not about that. It's about philanthropy, one of several legitimate ways diaspora Jews express their love and engagement for Israel. And no different than any philanthropic choice, we have every right and expectation to ask that our giving expresses our values for rabbis to use their pulpits, physical and proverbial, to direct, guide, and counsel the philanthropic priorities, the do's and don'ts of American Jews, is not only not untoward, it's actually their job. All of which is to say that if the aim of the letter is to give expression to the moral obligation to stand up, warn, and stop American Jews From supporting violence-filled Israeli extremist groups, then the only real question on the table strikes me as why are there only 19 rabbis on the letter? Why not every rabbi? Why not the leaders of every rabbinic organization, every seminary, and every synagogue to fund those who have funded violence against Palestinians, who have participated in violent attacks on IDF soldiers evacuating illegal settlements? who have trained vigilantes in the West Bank, no thank you. We might share the same faith and break the same matzah, but make no mistake, these guys are bad dudes. Not only should we not fund them, but we should be actively calling them out. Just the other day, the far-right Israel leader, Betzal el said that Knesset members of the present coalition should be turned away from synagogues. A statement which was correctly called out by the Prime Minister as a very talk that resulted in the destruction of the Temple and I would add the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin. Just yesterday six Jews were arrested for their plans to offer a sacrifice on the Temple Mount ahead of Passover, a provocation anytime, time, all the more so during Ramadan. Why was there violence on the Temple Mount yesterday? Because rather than seeking calm, Extremist elements are doing everything they can to provoke, incite, and inflame a series of false flag incidents, if you will, with deadly consequences. As Jews, we dare not be silent when it comes to Jewish extremists, not just because as Jews, we have a better chance to impact the Jewish discourse than the Arab one. No different than we expect Muslims to call out radical elements of Islam All Jews have an obligation to call out extremist elements of the Jewish people. We have a moral obligation to do so, and we have a political and educational responsibility to do so. I have no doubt that there is an element of the haters of Israel who are going to hate Israel no matter what Israel does, and that there are those for whom Zionism is indeed a cover, anti-Zionism, is indeed a cover for their anti-Semitism. And we do ourselves, Israel, and most damagingly, our children, a huge disservice if we paint all criticism of Israel as anti-Semitism. Be it our children who did not grow up with the same instinctive anchoring in the Israel story as you and I did, or the silent majority of humanity who are totally disengaged from the goings on of the Middle East, they can sense The problematics of a zero-sum discourse that precludes any critique of Israel. I would go so far as to say that by a certain logic in whitewashing the extremist elements of Israeli society, we are actually forwarding the agenda of Israel's real haters who see the double standard, who know that we know that they know that we are holding Israel to a standard different than we would any other state. The argument for Israel, or for that matter, anything, is made stronger, not weaker, by acknowledging the fullness of the debate. No different than the House of Hillel, whose opinions carry the day over those of the House of Shammai because he would state the opposing view before he stated his own, so too when it comes to Israel. In identifying the other side and naming the excesses, extremisms, and intemperances of Israeli society. Those letter signing rabbis are giving voice to a love for Israel that makes space for the yes and, a love of Israel that can withstand the debates of the day and the challenges of the Jewish generations yet to come. Why would I or any rabbi sign that letter? Easy, there's no greater act of love one can perform in this world than to tell that person, that people or that country that you love most, that you believe what they are doing is not in the best interest of their short, long, and medium-term health. Last night, we all sat down at our saber-tater tables, and this evening, we're going to do so once again. It's always struck me as significant that the same story that reminds us that in every generation, someone rises up to destroy us as Pharaoh did, that asks us to pour out our wrath on those who hate us, is the same story, the same Haggadah, that teaches us Avat Hager, that we were once strangers in a strange land, and thus we have empathy and love for the stranger in our midst, wherever we are, especially where Jews have power, namely the sovereign state of Israel. It's not an either or, it's a both and, in the Haggadah and as a Jew, to be eyes wide open, vigilant and on guard against the external threats we face and to know that, as Jews, we remove drops of wine with every plague, our spiritual integrity demanding empathy with the condition of the other, even and especially if that other directs their enmity towards us. This is a double helix of our spiritual DNA. This is what it means to be celebrating Passover. This is what it means to be a Jew." Did I sign that letter? Was I the black-lined Rabbi C. Seventh Signatory? Well, if you think I'm gonna tell you, (laughs) then you must be new to the synagogue. (laughs) But perhaps the point is for you to interrogate how you feel about what I did or did not do. Would you be proud if your rabbi signed that letter? Are you disappointed if I didn't? Why is it that you feel the way you do about what that does or does not say about me, but about you. If put before you, what would you have done? Would you have signed that letter? Maybe the real point is to remember that both possibilities, to sign or not to sign, are part of the warp and woof of our people's narrative, and that the person sitting next to you who loves Israel and the Jewish people no more and no less than you do may have made the opposite choice. And then, maybe just maybe, in the spirit of Passover, we take a deep breath and acknowledge that all of us are children of the same story, sitting at the same Seder table, telling the shared narrative that has kept our people together from generation to generation. Shabbat shalom, chak Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.